Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. And on this episode, we're going to look at some games of late, see what's trending and what's new, have a look at some crowdfunding, and this is a review episode, and I'll be reviewing Under Falling Skies and Obsession. I should be obsessing about it. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by... Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They're the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. Hey there and welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Let's get into some games of late. And lately, uh, I had the opportunity to play Lost Ruins of Arnak on Board Game Arena. I highly recommend that. Uh, I had a chance to play with Chris from Mozart Games, and uh, we did a two-player game, like I said, of Lost Ruins of Arnak, and uh, this is designed by Elwyn Min, and uh, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing... I apologize. If I'm making any mistakes in pronouncing names, I apologize. Um, and uh, this is published by Czech Games Edition uh, from the... the we give quick some background here. This is basically... Uh, Indiana Jones, the board game. And uh, when this came out, it had a unique uh, uh, mechanic, mechanic twist, a mechanic twist to it. And uh, what it is, is a uh, deck builder and worker placement. And a lot, of the, a lot of the games out there are starting to find a hybrid in between mechanisms that they're, they're starting to explore. And this is one of those uh, moments where they did explore this Venn diagram or hybridization of of these two mechanisms and straight out of the gates this is a fantastic game and uh, the way BG I have the I have the uh, the cardboard copy in my in my collection but uh, BGA does a great job on on the user experience of this game well uh, well being you know um, digital and we played by via zoom so um, it was a. It was the best we could do during the circumstances we have, and uh, we played twice. And I, I, I lost both games just by a smidge. And this is declarative of this game that I, I didn't play the greatest of games, but I had so much fun. This game is so much fun. And what happens is, like I said, it's Indiana Jones the board game, and it's this idea that. Uh, you're going to explore sites. And in doing so, you need to have resources, you need to have stuff. And there's, a, as every good Euro, there is a, um, a, a deck building card market of tools and artifacts. There are tracks that you can climb up to 
said uh, uh, temples or, uh, you know, um, summits of exploration. And the, this, it just fuses, this game fuses everything so nicely. There's so many exploration tiles that I don't think this game can become scripted. Uh, on the bottom, like every good resource builder, you're going to have your access to your base resources on the bottom of the, if you can visualize it, on the bottom of the board, and everything traverses, explores upwards. And uh, yeah, there's just the different ways you can approach this game is just so interesting. And what I love about this game is in the beginning, it, it, it doesn't feel like, you know, there's, I think there's five rounds. And in the beginning, you're thinking, oh, wow, we're going to burn through this pretty fast. But it's one of those cascading games where all of a sudden this will trigger. To, it's all this idea of how far can I extend my turn by, by you know, activating this, which will generate this for me. And then my next turn, I can take what I just generated to produce. Oh, this cascading layering uh, is wonderful. Well, you, you feel so clever, <laughs> I think, is what I like about this game. And, uh, and I haven't even talked about the card market yet because how it works is it's a it's pretty clever card market because, like I said, there's two markets in this deck builder game. On the right-hand side, you have tools, and on the left-hand side, you have artifacts. But, but the way the round marker splits this market from left to right, it starts off where, because you're just exploring, that you don't really have that many artifacts to find. So you have one card, and as the rounds progress... There's a, I think it's a, like a long staff that basically delineates the split of this market. As, as you explore through the game, the artifacts available to you increase and the tools available to you decrease because your tool resources start to, you know, exhaust as you're, you know, going deeper and deeper into the jungle. Um, yeah, this is such a fun game. If you've never had the opportunity to try this game, I'd say give it a try on uh, Board Game Arena, and uh, if yeah, once you once you get hooked, go buy yourself the cardboard copy. And I do understand for those people who like me are uh, have have become because of the pandemic solo board gamers. The I think the Czech Games Edition website has a um, solo campaign. That you can pursue. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tuck into that, and I'm gonna see what comes of that, and I'll get back to you on that. So yeah, that was uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Now, um, what I had an opportunity as well to play this week was uh, oh man, I'm st I think I'm gonna do a series of this game or a series of <laughs> the series of this game. And I'm, first of all, I'll tell you what I'm talking about so that you don't get frustrated with me. Architects of the West Kingdom. Um, got this out a couple weeks ago with the uh, Wednesday Night Gamers Garage. I think I'm going to call our regular Wednesday Night Game here, uh, Game Night. Um, and uh, played this with um, Dave and Jordan, Dave of Board on the Air, and Architects of the West Kingdom, designed by Shem Phillips and S.J. McDonald, published by Garfield Games. Uh, and I have to mention that the artist, the Miko, um, is everything about this game and this this whole realm and and uh, um, b basically world that's created here is fantastic. Now, when I talked about um, the series or the set, this one is in a series of three, from what I understand. 
And that is, uh, starts off with Architects of the West Kingdom, then goes to Paladins of the West Kingdom, and then I think the trilogy finishes with Viscounts of the West Kingdom. And uh, yeah, Architects of the West Kingdom, pretty much it's in the Carolingian Empire of like 800-ish AD, and we're talking um, like France, okay? Um, and with that being said, we're also talking about Charlemagne, right? Um, so with that thematic kind of grounding, you get the idea, all right, we are rebuilding as a, uh, or sorry, this European uh, society is rebuilding and Architects of the West Kingdom is in fact that idea of rebuilding. And uh, what, okay, so it's basically worker placement, resource building, and architects, I mean, just the word denotes that you're going to be uh, planning and building stuff. But what I really think was, what caught me with this game was how you apply your worker placement and how that application uh, correlates to the resources that you can accumulate. So that being said, you let's say I want to get some stone. You put one meeple down in the stone area, you get one meeple. But it it stays there. You don't. There's never a, a, a part of your rounds or actions where you recall. Well, you kind of do, but I'll get to that. Now, I I leave my I leave my meeple there. I go back there if I want to go get some more. I put another meeple there. Now, I have two. So that now my worker my workforce at this quarry is generating more resources. If I add more workers, I generate more. But here's the twist that I, <laughs> that was, but um, if I start to have way too many people in, uh, you know, whatever locations of resource building, my, how shall I say, the other families of this, uh, of, <laughs> of this building area might uh, take uh, notice and get them arrested. And so that's one of the actions is, is you need to balance this idea of how much can I generate without attracting negative attention from the other players on the board because that is one of the functions of recalling your workers is you get money for sending the guards to uh, go arrest people. And there is a system by which these people get uh, detained by the family that arrested them and then they go to the tower and then from the tower that's where you as the as the head, you know, head of the family, go to retrieve these workers. And uh, the workers themselves become a resource in this game. Now, all of that being said, it all ties together with this idea of, of like I said, it comes back to building. So there's, these, there's, a, there's a card system of, of buildings that give you powers that connect to this whole synergy of developing um, the medieval town. And I don't even know if there's a particular name to this town. Um, do, 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 yeah, as royal architects, you complete to impress the king and maintain. So, yeah, you're just building. And uh, I, this game was so much, again, this game was so much fun because of the tactical. And it, it, it didn't ever feel like it was lagging. That's what I enjoyed the most about this game. It was very dynamic in its gameplay. Um, now, I've been playing it solo, because I've recently been playing, played it solo, and the system that they have, the AI card system that they use, is chaotic enough, for me at least, to 
you know, represent other players at the board because honestly, when other players at the board are playing, you know, opposite me, I don't, <laughs> there's times where their, their, their choices are as chaotic as the way the cards come out uh, because they're, you know, they're, they're not playing the game I want them to play or that they should be playing. No, <laughs> um, But like I said, this game is very, and I, I, you know, here's the thing. If you, and I know there's some out there, I don't know how you could not like worker placement, but there's some who don't like worker placement. If that's this, just think of it as action point selection. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, if everything I've talked about Architects of the West Kingdom is something that you like, yeah, go try it out. It is, is a fun game. And I, I think it's reasonably priced as well as far as a, uh, a game goes. And what I'm liking about Garfield Games is they're making their, they're trying to produce their games and package their games in, I think it's like the eight by eight by three inch tall box. And uh, yeah, and boy, oh boy, do they get, like my Paladins is, uh, is packed really tight. So um, it's, it's, I think there's a game within a game of trying to pack this, pack the trunk of the car for the trip. So yeah, Architects of the West Kingdom. That, like I said, that was uh, Shem Phillips and S.J. McDonald, published by Garfield Games. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. And welcome back. This is Norm here from Cardboard Conjecture. Let's have a look at what's trending, according to BGG. And what's trending, you know, the synergy, the connectivity of this episode is kind of amusing right now because what uh, is on the hot trending list is legacy of you. I hope that, why you? I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. My apologies. Uh, build the canals, repel the barbarians, and rise to fame as you the great. It is designed by Shem Phillips and uh, published by Garfield Games. Now, um, I think what is unique to this is it is a solo game. I think this is their first solo game that uh, Garfield uh, Games and Shem Phillips have put out. Um, it is 60 minutes, ages 12 and up. I mean, that's subjective. Um, so I, I don't, I have n- no knowledge at all of this game. So I'm going to go to what the publisher has created for us to understand what we're going to experience in this game. And that is the description. Here we go. During the reign of Emperor Yao, the people of ancient China were constantly plagued by deadly floods along the Yellow River. Eager to put an end to the devastation, Yao selected Gun, one of his officials, to devise a plan. After nine years of failed attempts using dams and dikes, Gun's employment came to a questionable end. After his passing, Yu inherited his father's work. Learning from Gun's failures, Yu set out to construct a series of canals to direct the surging river into nearby fields and smaller waterways. Legacy of You is a solo-only 
fully resettable non-linear campaign game where you set where you step into the role of the legendary hero of the Shah dynasty, you the great. It will be your job to build the canals ahead of the impending flood while also defending your growing village against neighboring barbarian tribes. With each game, stories will be shared and new gameplay elements added. The campaign features a self-balancing system which adapts to how well you are doing. The campaign ends once you either win or lose seven games. Well, I am thoroughly intrigued because a solo campaign appeals to me very much. Um, and like, I'm going to quickly read out the mechanisms that I have connected to this. So there's chaining, which I, or chaining or cascading. I love that. Um, deck building and bag building, hand management, um, scenario missions. Everything to me with this game is hitting all of the check boxes. So I cannot wait until um, I have uh, uh, the ability to either see this game, watch this game, or heaven forbid, play this game. Yay! Um, so yeah, that is the legacy of you. Hi. If you like the content we're creating and the podcast episodes we're producing, please leave a happy rating on the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and would also help others find our podcast when they search for board game podcasts. And if you have the time, check out our new YouTube channel where we have new content every few days. Just search Bridge City Board Gamers on YouTube. Thanks, eh? And we're back. Let's have a look at what's new hitting the shelves. And if you're in Canada, what'll be new in six to eight weeks? <laughs> All right, so um, new coming out is Final Girl, designed by Evan Derrick and AJ Porfirio. I hope I pronounced that properly. Um, published by Van Ryder Games. Van Ryder Games, uh, uh, famous, uh, at least my connection with them is a hostage negotiator. Very, very, very good solo. Um, and this, as well, is a solo-only game. Plays 20 to 60 minutes, age 14 and up. And um, it is, and before I get into the description, because I kind of uh, been hearing about it, and, I, and, and just the box cover and the font uh, has all the connections, the nostalgic connections for me of the, the 80s um, uh, Fright Night scary movies of uh, like, like Friday, Halloween. So yeah, this in fact is that whole thematic connection with that genre of, of uh, horror movies from the 80s and 90s where the, the final girl, right? Like Scream, the final girl left in the whole movie um, that is how you're playing the game. So I'll, I'll do the description so that I'm, I'm not leading us down a, uh, a wrong narrative here. So provided by the, uh, by the, pub, by the publisher, um, playing on a famous horror movie trope, Final Girl is a solitaire only game that puts the player in the shoes of a female protagonist who must kill the slasher if she wants to survive. The core box, when combined with one of our feature film boxes, has everything you need to play the game. Each feature film box features a unique killer in an iconic location, and the more feature films you have, the more killer location combinations you can experience. 
In game terms, Final Girl shares similarities with Hostage Negotiator, but with some key differences differences that change it up, including a game board to track locations and character movement. You can choose from multiple characters when picking someone to play and multiple killers when picking someone to play against. Killers and locations each have their own specific tarot cards that will be shuffled together to create a unique experience with various combinations of scenarios for you to play. This sounds like, I, I mean, I hit it before, a nostalgic moment. Um, uh, not to show my age, but yeah, I might have grown up in that time. So uh, I'm very intrigued. This to me seems like uh, like uh, a, a, a very fun um, uh, game to play in regards to uh, the, 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 the thematic connection to it. Now, again, uh, I, I mean, those, I'm, a, I'm a big scaredy cat. Those shows freak me out. <laughs> um, yeah, Freddy, Freddy Krueger. Ah. Uh, okay, so, yeah, I definitely want to try this game, Final Girl by Van Ryder Games. And let's have a quick look at the crowdfunding scene. On Kickstarter, this is coming back around to uh, Garfield Games. On Kickstarter, we have Viscounts, Gates of Gold, and Keepers of Keys. So, this is an expansion for Viscounts of the West Kingdom. Uh, I picked that game up. I have not yet played it, because as I said previously in this episode, that I'm going to start off with Architects, and you have a good round of that, and then go to Paladins, and I believe I picked up the expansion for Paladins. And then I'm going to play Viscounts. I have not yet played that. The other two I have played, but I've not played Viscounts yet. So, uh, I, I, you know, the base game is apparently solid and the solo play is fun. So, uh, it, it said, according to this, I have five days to go. But I'm pretty sure that uh, this Kickstarter is going to uh, um, be successful. And I will eventually see these games on my friendly local uh, game shop. So... Uh, I, I can wait, I can wait, but I'm very happy to see that uh, as it stands now, there's uh, over 4,000 backers, and they definitely hit their pledge goal like a long time ago, so uh, I can't wait to see this on, now two, uh, two expansions, that's, that's very, very, very cool, uh, I can't wait to see those on the game shelf, because I probably will... <laughs> Probably will most likely, okay, it'll find its way into my collection. Because uh, I'm having so much fun with the previous titles, Architects and Pal Paladins is probably the heavier of the, not probably, is the heavier Euro of the two. Now, like I said, Viscounts, I don't know where that's going to rank because I haven't played it yet. But I'll let you know when I get to it. So, yeah. Um, back to the beginning. Viscounts, Gates of Gold and Keeper of Keys. <laughs> This episode is supported by the incredible team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team to ensure their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer, new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Board Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Hey there, this is Norm, and this is Cardboard Conjecture. 
We're going to get into some reviews. And before we do the reviews, I'm going to give us a little overview of uh, the format that I like to use when I break down a game. So we start off with some game details. Then I like to go into an overview and the nuts and bolts of the game and followed by some opinions. And in those opinions, I always like to look at kind of an outside-in approach to the game. And uh, we'll finish off with some conclusions. And in those conclusions, the, the, the favorite rating scale that Cardboard Conjecture has is the shelf system. And is it a top shelf game? Is it a mid shelf game? Is it a bottom level shelf game? Or is it sitting on the chair beside the bottom shelf because it's gonna be on the trade pile? So I've never had one of those yet. But considering that the games I'm reviewing are pro most, most likely 99.9% .9 of the time games that I've purchased for my collection. So I've done a little bit of filtering already for you. Now, Let's get on to some reviews. The first game I would like to review is Under Falling Skies. And uh, this game is designed by Jason Holt and Tomas Ullier. I hope I said that properly. I, I'm sorry if I mispronounced it. And uh, it is published by Czech Games Edition. And uh, we, I, I mean, I always like talking about the artists and giving them props. And the, the, in this case, the artist is Quan Chai Mori and Peter Boacek. I hope I said that, Peter. I hope I said that right. I'm so sorry. Um, and uh, this game is uh, 20 to 40 minutes. It's uh, ages 12 and, uh, 12 and up. And I always say the age part is subjective. Um, now, uh, Under Falling Skies. Let's give a quick overview and nuts and bolts of this. So in the overview, the, sim this, the, ba the best way to do it is just read the description that the uh, publisher provided because they put so much work into this. So, aliens have arrived to conquer Earth. Enemy ships fill the skies. Humanity retreats to underground bunkers located below cities across the globe. Stand against the common threat. Fight the invaders city by city. Build a team from around the globe to save your planet and defeat the aliens. In Under Falling Skies, this is a solo game with a multi-mission campaign. In each mission, you take charge of defending a besieged city. Your actions are powered by an innovative dice placement mechanic. When you choose an action, you also are choosing which enemy ships will descend. Bigger numbers give better, better effects but they also cause ships to descend faster. Expand your underground base to gain access to more powerful actions, allowing you to shoot down enemy ships or destroy or deploy robots to increase your workforce. But don't forget to work on your research and watch your energy supply. The mothership draws closer every round, ratcheting up the tension. Can you complete your mission before your base is destroyed? That is the question. Now, under falling skies, I am of the generation that uh, used to play the uh, the w only one color stand up arcade games where you're popping quarters in. Remember quarters? Do you guys remember those? Um, now, under falling skies, to me, the best way to explain this to you is Space Invaders, the board game, because um, that's what it is. The if you could visualize it, a la Space Invaders. You're going to have this tableau in front of you with your city on the bottom. And underneath your city 
is the brains of the operation. And I'll get to that pretty quick here because in the overview of nuts and bolts, I'm going to quickly explain what they touched on and not get too deep into it because it's not a, you know, it's not a, uh, uh, a tutorial. It's a review. So uh, you roll your dice, you place them in the columns that are represented by the alien ships that are coming down from the top all the way to the bottom. So you have time as they progress through this grid system. And in this grid system are elements that will either allow you to destroy the ships. The ships will move left or right. The ships, when they stop, will either advance the mothership. You know, that kind of idea where there's dynamic interplay with the enemy pressing down upon you. And uh, in most cases, for me at least, destroying the city. Um, which is a different game, Missile Command. Um, so, yeah, you roll your dice, you put them in the columns represented by the ships, and like, it's, like I described in the, in the beginning, uh, you have to find that balance between how the, the larger the pip number, great, you get a benefit from that, but also it draws the alien in that column down that much further. So you have, there's that balance in there. Now, um, there's like in any good, you know, solo game, there's one way to win and many ways to lose. And many ways to lose is, uh, well, the biggest one is mothership basically lands on earth, or you have enough alien ships that have caused damage to the earth that you have a health track that depletes. Um, and the damage caused is as these ships are coming down, if you cannot destroy them, every ship that impacts the earth takes down one of your, your earth level health, I guess is what you want to call it. And uh, the, uh, it's very simplistic. Not, I don't want to say simplistic. It's very easy to understand the system of this game because it is pretty self-evident as how it works. Um, but there's enough depth there for, as far as the puzzle goes, for you to um, um, have enough depth of engagement. Now, the, the, the genius of this game. Now, we're, I'm going to quickly move down. I talked about how to score points and how to win. Now, let's go, um, let's go into the opinions because I'll get into the game system and game style and the opinions. So, uh, moving into opinions and outside in. Now, outside in, it's basically um, a smaller box, probably like a half, half ticket to ride. Kind of picture that. Um, now, the box cover is gorgeous. Uh, it is, as I said, the artists are Quan Chai Mori and Peter uh, Boacek. And the, uh, the, the, the feel that you get off the image of this, uh, of this box is uh, that of impending doom of alien invasion. And uh, with aircraft, traditional Earth defense systems trying to repel this invasion. And uh, I think it does a great job of drawing you into what you're going to experience. And even in the artwork, there's the depiction of the alien ships themselves that you will see as little plastic models um, coming down in vertical lines. So the, the artwork itself alludes to the mechanics of the game. like that. Very well done. Components. Um, the components are great. Uh, the, you know, uh, a good... good Good plastic, good cardboard, nothing flimsy. Uh, good, you know, good thought went into the production of this game, and they didn't, uh, they didn't cheap out on much. Now, here's the thing with this game: there, as far as components go, there's not that many components necessary for this game. So, I would say that was a great decision to 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 
give us some, you know, half decent components without bumping up that price. So I, I thought it was as far as the business decision went in regards to what kind of components to put uh, with this game. I think they get it, did a great job because it helped you uh, immerse yourself into the game. Um, so moving on to rule book, readability, layout, learning curve, referencing, everything was great. Everything was fantastic. Uh, the, it's a solo game, so there's not, and, and I don't mean to detract from uh, solo games compared to multiplayer games, but just the idea there of a, an individual rule set to a multiplayer rule set, you know that there's going to be a thinner rule book. And yes, the rule book is, is uh, um, more manageable in regards to time spent, time to understand. Uh, the layout of it was great. The learning curve, I mean, everything made sense. And uh, my ability to come back and reference, the, you know, uh, um, rules that I, I didn't read properly was fantastic. So the rule book, yeah, check, pass. Game system and game style. I want to talk about uh, the engine of this game that's underneath the city to which you are defending. And the game system that they came up with was pretty clever, in my opinion. Um, the actions that you're going to choose are thematically connected to, uh, because this, because earth got hit already, that there's a lot of collapsed, uh, infrastructure. Now you imagine the, you've got, uh, five columns wide, right? Um, now on the bottom underneath your city, you have layers, right? Like, like basement levels going down, but here's the cue. Uh, a lot of it is collapsed and you need to excavate. So you have an excavator that that you have to allot a die to in front of the excavator that allows you to move this excavator down uh, to sub-level one, sub-level two, sub-level three, removing debris to open up these rooms where you can now place your die. So in the beginning of the game, you have limited access to certain actions. And the actions are, like I said, you, got, you, you have to increase your scientific research in order to defeat the... Uh, that's the big one. That's how you win, is um, pushing your research. I don't think I mentioned that in the how you win part. I, talk, I talked about how you survive. But yeah, how you win is you have to... Uh, research, the scientific research has to hit the top of your track in order for you to win before the aliens land. So my bad. Um, but uh, back to the room um, actions is their scientific research, which is integral, as I said, to the victory. Um, there is energy. You need energy to um, trigger a lot of these other mechanisms as in the scientific research as in your defense to destroy alien ships as in right there's all this connectivity and I thought that was a very cool way of slowly scaffolding or ratcheting I mean de depending how you want to look at it scaffolding the access to more uh, um, available rooms and higher powered rooms compared to the ratcheting down of uh, the mothership coming down, bearing down on you. Um, I, I, I was, yeah, I really like that balance of, of where you're placing your die is dependent on in that column, what actions are available to you in reference to your excavation, allowing you access to those rooms, because you might see in front of your excavator, oh, there's a room that I need to get because that is significant in me advancing my science or 
that is significant in me getting rid of a whole lot of, uh, uh, you know, it could be a, a really good uh, military strike, but you can't get there because your excavator's not there. And what I think, we're going to move into unique mechanisms, and I think that that dice column placement um, in this whole game is quite unique in regards to uh, the the narrow the the narrow mechanisms used in this game there's not to say that there's not much there but what is there they were able to kind of fine tune um this dice placement in regards to the column in regards to choosing what uh actions in that column i have access to um that's and i'm i'm thinking that's unique because that's part of the game that uh caught me in my most deepest decision-making points. And if that's the case, that, that I think that's, that's where the uniqueness of this game lies is um, putting these dice down. Now, another unique thing, now I didn't get to this because I wanted to save this for this whole dicement place idea, is um, of the five die, there are two, uh, there's three gray dice and there's two white dice. Now, when you place the dice, if they're gray, no problem. You put them down. You 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 know take the you identify the resources that you're going to gain according to the pips. You move the ship down. You let the ship do whatever action it falls on. Um, but if you use a white die, and you will be using these white die, but if you use a white die, then you automatically re-roll the inventory of dice that you have not used yet. So. That is another one of these um, si parallel unique mechanisms of this dice placement is when do you want to reset the dice that you have available to you? Do you want to reset the dice that you have available to you? If you like the dice that are there, then you have to think, okay, I have to use my white dice at the end, which means that I'm only going to be re-rolling one white die. So that is kind of rolling around on the back of your head going, do I take the chance? Do I push my luck to either generate the right amount of resources versus, uh, and a lot of the time for me was, I don't want those ships to advance that much or they'll hit the earth and game over. So that was a panic moment for me. And yeah, that dice um, placement and reroll mechanism was very, very unique. Does this all connect? Yeah, absolutely. I have spent, I probably spent, uh, uh, somebody's wage on quarters uh, as a youth playing this game. And it brings me back nostalgically to the, the uh, times I've played Space Invaders and also uh, ties me in right now because of the, the depth of decision-making that this game has. So I am quite content about uh, the, what this game has on the table and it has a campaign mode so you can you can choose to you know just pick a city or you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do these three cities and and, and go through your little own mini campaign but the game comes with a campaign in order to uh um I, I use this teaching term a lot scaffolding where it 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 helps you understand the depth of the game and the dimension of the game a little at a time and uh now, I'm, I think I've just about finished my first campaign, and I'm already itching to like, okay, I want to you know, do my own little uh, mini campaign. So I'm having fun with this game. This, for me, now, as far as solo games goes, yeah, 
I would say this is a top shelf solo game because it gets to the table fast. I can get into this game, have so much fun because like I said, plays 20 to 40 minutes. And uh, sometimes it's less than that for me <laughs> because dice hate me. Um, now, um, yeah, if uh, as far as the solo games go, top shelf. Uh, I will never have this game compete with, let's say, you know, El Grande at six players because that's those are you know two different realms. Uh, multiverse gaming, right? Um, yeah. I, I, I quite enjoy this game for what it offers me and what it uh, challenges me with and, and the nostalgia that it brings back for me. So very happy to have this in my collection. Under Falling Skies, designed by Jason Holt and Tomas uh, Ullier and published by Czech Games Edition. Next game up on our reviews is Obsession, designed by Dan Halligan and published by Kenta Games. This uh, and uh, um, artist by Dan Halligan as well. And uh, this game is one to four players, plays thirty to ninety minutes, ages fourteen and up. Um, I, you know, the subjectivity of that. It could be eight and up if it's a very smart eight-year-old. Okay, carrying on. <laughs> Um, let's give an overview of this game. So Obsession um, is uh, described by the publisher. You are the head of a respected but troubled family estate in mid-19th century Victorian England. After several lean decades, family fortunes are looking up. Your goal is to improve your estate so as to be in better standing with the truly influential families in Derbyshire. Obsession is a game of 16 to 20 turns in which players build a deck of Victorian gentry, British social upper class, renovate their estate by acquiring buildings, uh, tiles from a centralized builder's market, and manipulate an extensive service staff of butlers, housekeepers, underbutlers, maids, valets, and footmen utilizing a novel worker placement mechanic. Successfully hosting prestigious social events such as fox hunts, music recitals, billiards, political debates, and grand balls increases a player's wealth, reputation, and connections among the elite. Each turn, players choose a building tile representing a room or outdoor space in and around their 19th century British country house. The tile chosen dictates the event that can be hosted and the guests to be invited. Players must carefully plan, however, to have the proper staff available to service the event and support guests as needed. The reward for success is new investment opportunities, permitting further renovation of the estate, acquisitions of more valuable, powerful building tiles, which is that, an increase in reputation in the country, an expanding circle of influential acquaintances, and a larger and highly trained domestic staff. Throughout the game, a competitive courtship for the hand of the most eligible young gentleman and lady in the country presents specific renovations and reputation objectives. The player who best meets these objectives while accumulating victory points will win the hand of the wealthy love interest and the game. Well then, this game 
can be, for me at least, uh, surmised, thematically surmised as Downton Abbey, the board game. But I guess they can't use that IP. But that's uh, that's the, the or if or if you're of uh, my generation, upstairs, downstairs, and I do remember the black and whites. Wow, yeah, I'm that old. <laughs> okay, so yeah, like I said, this is uh, Downton Abbey, the board game, and um, but I won't say that it's obsession. It's fantastic, and a little spoiler alert. Yeah, um, so. Um, the yeah, you have the mechanics as described in this game is a tile building, uh, estate building game with this worker placement aspect. And I think I talked about in Lost Runes of Arnak this kind of hybridization of mechanics that are starting to see that uh, that they they connect well together, right? Salt and pepper, peanut butter and chocolate, right? Um, now. Um, how you win the game, like was mentioned, you create these events, you invite these guests, you find opportunities, and all of these are related to victory points. Now, in the guests, sometimes you don't have a choice as to who shows up to your event because uh, how that works, and I'll get that a little bit deeper in the, uh, in the uh, game system, is um, when you do an event... There are benefits from this event. Sometimes the benefits, or most of the times the benefits are positive, but sometimes the benefits can be positive with negative consequences. And that being said, um, that could be a guest that arrives that will bring lots of money, but lower your reputation because they're so gauche, right? Um, <laughs> which, is, which is fun because I never thought, I, I, like I don't watch uh, Downton Abbey, or I think the other one is Bridgerton. Um, my wife is absorbed in that. Ah, awesome, awesome, awesome. Not to say that that the you know it just doesn't it's it's my uh, my media consumption brain. Um, but the the game itself is so engaging and so clever and so fun. And again, I'm gushing already, and I should I should wait I should wait till the end. Okay, I'm gonna wait till the end. Now um, that's how you win the game is you successfully have these events and and uh, acquire wealth, acquire uh, prestige, acquire honor, acquire victory points. It's a fabulous Euro. Um, let's get into some opinions on the outside inside of this. Uh, outside the box is your typical ticket to ride size box. Great. That, that's funny that that's a standard, that a game is a standard of a description for the size of the box. Um, yeah. Now on the, the box cover itself... Uh, it is a snapshot of the thematic uh, goodness that is inside this box because it is an um, outdoor picture, a long kind of establishing shot picture of a Victorian estate of the time. The font is of the time. The a graphic layout and framing of this picture is of the time and uh like right away you know at least you should know what you're going to um experience when you open up this box is that um moment in time encapsulated uh moving into the components the now this is a uh tile it's tile significant game because these tiles represent the five different rooms or uh, uh, services 
in your house, there are the essential spaces in your estate, such as, you know, private study. You have a column that represents the service provided by your estate. You have a column uh, of the estate itself where there are parts of the area like main gazebo. Um, you have a column that represents the prestige of your estate and your family. And then finally, you have a column representing sporting events that you're able to uh, host as your family, like Bowling Green, Fox Hunt. And now you start off with uh, five basic rooms or five basic uh, events that you're able to activate on your turn. At the And, and the turn um, runs itself in a system where it's very recipe-like. At the start of your turn, you do this, you reset this, you resist this, then you host an event. Now, here's the cool part of this game in regards to uh, the flow of its game system. And um, now... I, I'm kind of talking about the. I'll get back to the. I'll go back to the components because I'm going to use the components and I'll talk about the system at the same time. So the the room components, uh, uh, these tiles, are my favorite thickness tile. Big chunky tiles. There's no flimsiness. There's no. There's going to be. If there's warping, it's because I've submerged these tiles in water. There's no, yeah, that's how thick they are. So, yes, I love the, the thickness of the tiles, um, which, again, if the tiles are thick, that means that all the punch-outs are the same thickness. The coins are fantastic. The player boards are thick enough that there's going to be no eventual cupping or warpage, right? Um, so, well done in choosing uh, good standard Thickness quality cardboard. Yay on you. Um, it comes with meeples. Yay. Now these meeples, I, again, I'm going to kind of talk about the components and quickly touch base with how they work in far, as far as the game system and game style go so that when I come to that point, don't have to talk too much about it. Now, um, the meeples, you've got six kind of standard meeples. Uh, you've got the, the blue butlers and uh, these, these meeples are connected to the invited guests that uh, come to these events that are from your hand. So there's a deck building thing. Now I'll get to the cards and the deck building when I talk about those components. But these meeples are essential in triggering the individuals attending these events and also you being able to host these events because the uniqueness, uh, I'll get to that cycling of these uh, uh, employees. You have the butlers, you have housekeepers, you have underbutlers, you have valets, you have ladies' maids, you have footmen, you have six different categories of meeples. Yay! Like me some worker placement. Um, now, yeah, great job. All different sizes, all different, or all different uh, silhouettes, all different colors. Excellent. Uh, as far as those uh, individuals who uh, or have suffered from color, uh, color blindness. Um, yeah, you're able to distinguish uh, wh what is what. Cool. Kudos to the the publisher. Um, move, let's move to the cards. We talked about the cards. The cards are great. Um, uh, I mean, the 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 really good deck, really good thickness. Um, perfect. I, I I mean, I'm happy. I'll probably depending because I've been playing this game a lot. Uh, if I continue to play this game a lot, I might sleeve these cards, right? So that's a <laughs> that's a whole other episode if you want to look back at that. Um, so the cards are great. Now the cards, 
Uh, as I said, this is a tile. There's a tile market, or there's a market where these events, uh, like your typical market, they slide down from right to left, becoming more expensive on the right and less expensive on the left. Um, the card is not necessarily a deck building card drafting thing, but deck building in the fact that the, they become invited guests. You have um, level one prestige guests and level two prestige guests. Um, we're going to get back to the, the, the connectivity of the, the guests in relation to the events that you host in the game system because that's very clever too. Um, yeah, I mean, and there's a gorgeous uh, um, uh, purple, reminds me of the Crown Royal bag, um, but a purple uh, um, royal-ish uh, bag where you draw the tiles from. Yay! Um, I mean, it could have been a Ziploc bag for all us concerned, just looked away, but they put the time. Now, they also included in the, in the game, and I'm trying to figure out, because I'm, as far as storage goes, these gorgeous boxes of different families because there's asymmetric beginning to this and I might as well start to flow into the game system and game style and I'll talk about the rule book just before I hit the unique mechanisms but um, the, 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 there's the boxes like I said the storage um, boxes are fantastic they're gorgeous each family, the eight, there's a six, I believe, asymmetric families that you start off with have their own boxes that you can uh, um, store said uh, components in. Now, I'm a big proponent of plastic bags. So for me, I have to allow the, the intent of the designer to influence my choices when I'm packing up the game. And that's okay. I can, I can relate to that. Um, so where, let's see where we're going to go from here. Um, I think I did a good job on going through the components and, and um, you know, their, their quality. Let's go into the rule book and the readability of the rule book and the layout, the learning curve. Um, it is a, a ticket to ride size, like 12 inches by 12 inches, which to me I like because um, being a school teacher, uh, I go through a lot of content. I go through a lot of uh, uh, resources to determine what I'm going to use in, in developing and creating my lessons and designing the content. And I appreciate when there is enough uh, uh, space or white space or um, a flow around the information. Uh, there, there is, what I'm trying to say is, there's no clutter. That's good readability, good visual kind of landscape as to where your eye can bounce around and not be so confused or so distracted by um, irrelevant um, graphic, uh, uh, um, let's say, interference or white noise. So they did a great job on that. They did a great job on the flow of instruction, how everything, to me at least, made sense from... Uh, explanation to explanation. So, I, and referencing was was great because I could find where I needed to go in relation to the question I had. So, great job on the rule book. Uh, game system, game style. I kind of talked about that while talking about the game in general. Um, now, what? Um, yeah, this the game style, game system. You're hosting events. There is a main board that tracks 
um, your progress through the game. And it is divided into four sections. And at those intervals is when you have courtship, is when you decide, or not when you decide, when you determine what of the, ch- the families that are attending these events have enough prestige to court uh, there are two individuals, I think they're the Fairchilds. There's a male and female character card that are uh, very important in regards to their end game victory points and their abilities during the time that you have them in your hand because you don't always have them in your hand. They are a reward for these courtship intervals that um, come up during the game. Now, I'll quickly describe these courtship intervals because there's so much variability and variance in the game in regards to how you can play it, where at the beginning of the first segment, if you want to play on easy mode, you reveal a theme card that represents the, um, the services that you provide in your household. As I said, the essentials, the service, the estate, the prestige, the sporting, those are categorized in different colors of brown, blue, Uh, copper, purple, and green. Now, the theme card will come up and go, it is a sporting um, theme this, uh, uh, how should we say, entertainment season. So your goal by the time of courtship is to try and have as much uh, points in that column of events in sporting. And like I said, there's bowling green, fox hunts, billiards. Um, Now, if you can have a uh, prestigious uh, sporting season compared to the other players and you have more points than them, then you have the ability to uh, bring over you know, either the male or female uh, Fairchild to your hand during this courtship event and you get a very important victory point card that is either end of game victory points or if you're so desperate, you can cash it in for valuable income or valuable prestige uh, during the game because let's bounce to this prestige idea. On your player board, you have a track of one to five and in the middle, there are levels of prestige depending on the game you're playing, one to six or one to eight. Now, these levels of prestige are connected to uh, the, the prestige level in your events and the prestige level of your cards. So you have to plan really well what event you are going to offer with the guests that are, are allowed to attend this event depending on your prest- family's prestige level. So there are some wonderful hidden tracks, Euro tracks in this game that make for such a fun game. Um, moving quickly down, the unique mechanisms. I, for me, I think the unique mechanism uh, is that prestige, family prestige level, how it relates to the events and to the guests. Because I've played games where I've had random guests show up from my hand because the guests that you invite to the, to the event will have some payout resources. And sometimes these payout resources are random guests that they bring to this event. And sometimes their prestige level is a lot higher than the events that I'm able to uh, uh, you know, present to the, the population. Now, I can still count these points in my hand, but I can't use them uh, in my game if their prestige level is higher than the prestige event I'm able to present. So 
There's that that is so um, delicious in the game. Uh, and I think to me, the uniqueness is how they've done this in such a way because Victorian era, it was all about it's all about the social scale, right? And I think this does an excellent job on the representation of how that social scale is affected by all of these other, you know, lesser significant elements that contribute to that. Um, does this all connect? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I don't even, like I said before, I, I don't watch these shows, so I'm not too, uh, not too certain on how they relate to other narratives of this same theme. How I interpret it? Yeah. It, it was, it's great. I love it. This is such a fun game. And the uh, solo part of this game is, is good. It's great. The, what it is, there's no AI. You, you are competing against a family that has an already predetermined victory point level, but there are other moments in the game where they can buff that up too. So, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not one of these, hey, get your highest points and check the scale. There is some pushback, not necessarily pushback. There is some, uh, nudging in regards to, uh, how you are trying to accomplish the success in this game. Um, yeah, conclusions. This for me is a top shelf game. Uh, and I've only played this solo right now. I can't, I can't wait to bring this to the gamer's garage Wednesday night game and see how this plays at three or four players. But as far as I'm concerned with a solo play, I'm having so much fun with this game. I'm even interested in the expansions. Uh, I'm a big proponent of the base game should be strong enough to stand on its own. And yes, this game does stand on its own with much strength. Um, top shelf, absolutely. Well then, those two games reviewed, I hope that uh, this gave you enough perspective to uh, um, direct your attention to purchase or not purchase or play or not play these games. And uh, that being said, thank you so much for uh, the time spent listening to me blather on about board games. And it's time to wrap the show up. So I'm your host, Norm, and we'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.